I'm Sarah. And I'm Fallon. I'm the mother-in-law. And I'm the daughter-in-law. We are both church ministers who work on college campuses. So on this podcast, we're engaging the questions we hear in our ministry to better equip those who care for the emerging adults in their lives. Rick Gibson is a senior vice chancellor at Pepperdine University. His experience includes higher education administration, philanthropy, church leadership, and ministry training programs in partnership with the Lilly Endowment. Rick is a board member of the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Club of Los Angeles, where he served a term as president. On top of all this, Rick is an artist and a cartoonist and relevant to our conversation today. Rick is also really passionate about the Enneagram and has spent a lot of time thinking about it and researching it. Welcome, Rick. We are really glad you're here. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Rick, Fallon and I both know you in our relationship with you as a people person and all your work and your volunteer experiences that Fallon just listed highlight that. So when we heard that you're exploring personalities through the lens of the Enneagram, we thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about personalities, which is something we talk to emerging adults about a lot um, because identity exploration is important in this stage of life. So the Enneagram. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people don't know what it is. Numbers, wings, subtypes, childhood wounds. It can be a lot. So what is the Enneagram and how did you get interested in it? Well, and add to that, the Enneagram symbol has these nine uh, uh, points <laughs> and it looks like uh, I had someone ask me, uh, you know, is that a pentagram? Yeah. Is this something satanic? Is it Harry Potter? Right. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I understand that. I will say I am late to the Enneagram. Um, I'll get more into how I specifically got into that uh, through the uh, harbor of the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. We had Ian Cron out, and we've had Susan Stabile and others. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that I know and respect that have uh, gone through it. And so I'm kind of late to it. But part of my own reason for being late to it was, um, you know, it felt strange in some ways. But more about that in a minute. Let me tell you about what actually opened my heart and mind to this kind of thing. Uh, Because over the last several years, I think starting in 2013, I became interested in the ancient wisdom of of the Desert Fathers, and that, of course, will lead you into some the, the mystics and mystical questions about Christianity. Yeah. That's very hard for a Church of Christ kid to <laughs> right. to live with because I've really lived in the rational side of all of that. But I don't know if it's the artist in me or whatever it is, uh, right brain, left brain. But there has always been this thing that there's there's got to be another piece to this, and mm. so. In uh, 2013, I, I uh, had an opportunity to go to a pilgrimage to the Isle of Iona, and it's through the Isle of Iona, the Southern Hebrides in Scotland. Uh, it's where the kings of Scotland are buried. I um, want to go there so much. It is so awesome. So cool. And I went there for a week to, to spend time with the Iona community and to become sort of immersed into Celtic Christianity. If you're thinking of this as a great vacation spot, um, don't. I Maybe mean, not. It, yeah, it's it's lovely, <laughs> mm-hmm. stunningly beautiful. But um, 
there's not a lot to do there. You mm. hike, you can garden, there's, you can shear sheep, but it's mainly about meditation. But you go to church in the morning, then you go to church at night, nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night. And it was a liturgy that I had not experienced. These were very mm. different kinds of, of Christians, and that was helpful to me. So uh, I, I end up uh, every morning, I, I wake up and there's a note that's been, somebody has slid under the door and there's a question to ponder for the day. Wow. And the first one is, it's a note from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? It's the question, you know, to Peter, yeah, right? right? Who do people say that I am? So you spend the day hiking meditating, thinking about it. You go to the uh, Bay of St. Columba and you grab a stone and take it back with you. You're having your Mark chapter 8 yes, experience. Yes, right, 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 yeah, exactly. Right. And so anyway, I journaled and that was easy and it flowed. The second day, who do people say that I am? Je- another note from Jesus. It's strange getting a note from Jesus in your, <laughs> yeah. under, under your door I every love morning. It. And who do you say that I am? And so I had, I journaled and it flowed. Mm. The third day, Jesus sends me a note under the door, uh, courtesy of our guide, and uh, <laughs> sends it in the door and says, what Jesus asks, what shall I call you? Mm. And I am stumped mm. because I am not ready to ha- have this turned, this focus turned on me. Yeah. Right. And so I am not having an easy day. It's not flowing. I am not journaling easily. I have nothing. It's time for church that night at nine o'clock, and my journal has nothing. Mm. I had pages the day before and the day before that, but this night, nothing. Mm. So I go in, and I don't have an answer. And part of the liturgy is that you kind of work through that in the service at the end. That's beautiful. And they have baskets. And what you are supposed to do is grab a scripture out of the basket. And you put your hand in there and you, and you pick it out. And this scripture is for you on this day. And this is the passage that is on my piece of paper. Uh, on the day I was asked, what shall I call you? I had come up with will, because I'm willful. You know, um, I gave my name, mm. gave myself biblical names of people who would run or hide. Mm. Um, uh, there was, I've, in hindsight, there was enough shame mm. in my makeup and my belief about myself, and we'll mm. get into that with the Enneagram as yeah, to why that right. is, that I could not bring myself to anything lofty. Mm. And so I opened up the paper, and it's John fifteen fifteen. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friend. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I immediately mm. go to the person next Tears to me. In my eyes. Oh my goodness. Go to the person so next to me to see, all right, do we all have the same scripture? Did everybody get the same one? <laughs> we didn't. Every scripture was different. Wow. And I accepted that for what it was. A mystical moment. It was mm-hmm. a moment where God, through scripture, a well-poised, opposed question was offered to me, one that I could not deal with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it reframed my thinking. Something in my brain said, all right, you can use 
um, this right brain. That's the one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you can use the other part. You can use the creative part to find and reach out to the mystery of God. And so mm. uh, all up until that point, it was majesty of God, majesty of God, majesty of God. Mm. But then I began to embrace through this trip the mystery of God. Beautiful. I love Iona. It's a thin place. Um, and uh, I feel like God broke through there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They claim you'll go three times if you go once, and so I have two more times to go. <laughs> Um, but that opened me up to right. to the, the ancient wisdom. Mm. You know, Columbus mm. five thirty five, something like that. The Enneagram, actually, at least the mythology around it, goes back earlier than that. There are questions as to whether it's Christian at all. Right. Where did it come mm-hmm. from? I'll leave that to historians or scholars. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll ever figure it out. <laughs> but they began to realize and began to develop something that helped helps me and i think it's helped generations of people move from not just what is my relationship with god but what is my relationship with myself with god right who am i with with, with that and and um so that's what opened me up to mm-hmm. the enneagram i don't know if you have any questions about iona or anything but I, the enneagram will come out, flows out of that a little bit in a, in a I moment i guess my beautiful. only follow up question is did you believe in that moment that you're God's friend, or did that come with time? I had has not full. I have not fully accepted that yet. Okay, I have to work on that every day. Mm. And the Enneagram helps me understand why. Mm. Helps me understand why I I've come to believe through the Enneagram that my great rebellion is not willing to accept that. Mm. Ah. That is that is you know. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 so I, I have to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, my fellowship, my church experience, my family, my life. I mean, there are so many gifts that have been given to me that help me in this moment from from where I've come. You know, mm. but there is just this heavy sense of unworthiness and and shame and all of that. That it it was even in that moment I could not accept. That can't be true. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. that journey. Wow. Thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. For me, too, the, the Enneagram has been something that has allowed me to voice the shame. And when you take, when you're mm-hmm. able to name things, it takes away some of that power. So right. I, I appreciate you sharing that and, and naming those things. Um, can you give like a one to just for a little bit of like logistical context for, for people who might be listening, who might not be super familiar with the Enneagram, can you give like a one to two minute summary of like, what is the Enneagram for beginners? Well, (laughs) for dummies, well, it's good. You've asked that question because I'm one of those. I am not an expert on the Enneagram. I'm interested in it and it has started to help me, but, um, basically it's a typology System. We, we've we've all done them. You've probably done them. Your mm-hmm. listeners probably have done oh, yeah. them. Myers Briggs, Disc. Uh, I mean, they're endless, right? Um, but they really try to aim at your personality. What are those things that lead to certain kinds of behaviors? How do you understand yourself in relationship to others? Mm-hmm. They're always useful. Um, uh, in each of the, and I've taken many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. And 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 I appreciate them. I learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what the Enneagram does, it's a typology with nine different types that are um, identified as the, 
and, I, and I'm going to use a word here that I want to explain because it's it's a word that's really charged, mm. but it will uh, it, it's not what most people may think. They really do have a list of the primal sins, mm-hmm. and um, we used to have the seven deadly sins, right? Well, they've added two more, and they're nine. And, 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 <laughs> So oh, great, there are more sins. <laughs> but this is not sin in the way we think of mm-hmm. a violation of yeah. a code or something. This is a sin against yourself. Mm-hmm. This is a sin that is not accepting the gift of who you are. In fact, Richard Rohr says what it really points out is that we are gifted sinners. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is that uh, we all possess one of those nine and those nine are not all bad. None of, I mean, they're, they're, they're good. Mm-hmm. Right. But they have a shadow side mm-hmm. to them. And when the mm-hmm. shadow <laughs> dominates, um, your gift can become your curse, mm-hmm. can become the thing that holds you back. And so you take a test and you try to learn. You get back a test that tells you what, you, what, they, what it thinks your numbers are. And I'll reveal mine here in a minute. Well, I'll think about whether I'll reveal mine or not. <laughs> but but um, I... Um, it, what it does is it really holds a mirror up to your soul. The others may be about uh, dealing with things at the personality level, mm. the relationship level, maybe a psychological level, and all that's connected. Or teamwork or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, how right. do we how do we build mm-hmm. a better relationships at work? That kind of thing. This is me working me out with God, yeah. and this is this is this is the soul level, and it is. Uh, as Rohr would say, uh, and you will hear me quote Richard Rohr a lot on this, uh, he will say, this is how you participate in deep time. Mm. These other typologies are for current time right now. We have a team of workers. How do we get better at? Mm -hmm. This is how do I enter deep time? And that is an important work of the second half of life, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Um, which will be interesting as we talk about how does this relate to emerging adults mm-hmm, in, in a moment. Right. But yeah. um, I don't know if that's enough on No, that's awesome. Enneagram Thanks for that. And of course, um, anyone can Google it too and get get other types of uh, responses <laughs> a lot as out well. There. Right. But um, I, I just so much of what you, you've said is, is piquing my interest and helping me self-reflect and remember. Um, but when I was a, a freshman in college, I got really into the MBTI mm. and super, super into it. Um, and to the point where it was like, I would meet someone and be like, oh my God, they're such an ENTP or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> yes. And so I became very disillusioned by like personality stuff right. because I eventually- Labeling be- people. Yeah, labeling nope. people, yeah. labeling myself. It became a justification of like, well, I'm doing that because of my type, you know, whatever right. with the MBTI. And I remember um, it was a couple years later that Sarah had a book on the Enneagram and I was like, I'm not doing that again. Like (laughs) I am not doing the whole personality thing again and like getting into a box. But then as it became more and more popular in ministry, I finally was like, okay, I'll read your Enneagram book. I should know what people are talking about. And um, I came to really love it because I I thought of it less as like this is a personality test and more something to help reveal your inclinations of how to respond to things in order to grow. Right. So not a a boxing uh, labeling or an, a justification for behavior, but a way to kind of identify some of the patterns of thought and patterns of interaction that you developed as a child, to, so that you have like some good information to grow, which was really helpful for me. I I'll I'll uh, I'll show 
my cards, I oscillated between a one, a nine, and a three for a long mm. time. Um, wow. For several months, I wasn't sure which one I was. People had assumed I was a one before, since I was kind of late to the Enneagram game as well. Um, people had assumed I was a one, so I kind of went into it assuming I was a one, and there was a lot in the one that I really, I really connected Anyone to. Anyone who's ever had Fallon edit their work would think she's a one. <laughs> she's so detail oriented. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah anyway. I'm a really good editor. That's yeah, true. That's true. And- <laughs> Um, but it was actually, it was the primal sins that helped me understand. So I thought I was a nine, but every example I could think of, of how I was a nine, I realized I was under stress mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's what led me to the three. And, and I was so resistant to being a three because the, the primal sin of the three is vanity. Yes. But once that was revealed to me, I realized a big part of my vanity is other people not thinking I'm vain. <laughs> and, and it was a huge self revelation and, and understanding some of the shame and all of that, that comes with with, uh, yes. with the projection of vanity um, that can be really positive in terms of confidence and relating really well to other people has that shadow side of being, uh, you know, egotistical, self-absorbed, vain, whatever whatever it might be. And so that that was a really big revelation for me. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, I, I was hesitant to go there because vanity is the way that I suck. <laughs> it's the main yeah. way that I really yeah. suck. And, and so as it's been, as I've ministered to young, to emerging adults, um, as I've gone through emerging adulthood, it's been really helpful to this question that we hear, whether it's muttered, uh, muttered jokingly under one's breath, or it's an earnest question of why does everyone suck? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, cause we're all wounded people. Um, what do you think? Do you think the Enneagram speaks to that? Does everyone suck? Uh, well, I think Paul, Paul had his own problems with this, right? I mean, uh, not to be quoting scripture all the time, but uh, what is it? Um, the Romans 7 passage. Uh, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I not, I can't even, I can't even read it. Yeah. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell. I mean, and he goes on and yeah, on and Paul on. Paul really needed an editor. Paul, need, <laughs> Paul needed an editor, but he would have benefited from the, uh, the, the Enneagram because in some ways you can see Paul, because remember the Enneagram, these are your gifts too. Mm-hmm, right. Totally. So there is, it explains the war that's within mm-hmm. you. And Paul is describing that there, right? He is saying, I don't understand myself. Mm-hmm. And 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 he's at war with himself. And you can see, I believe you can see uh in his writings when his redeemed mm. uh self is speaking. And when his searching self, you know, N.T. Wright will say, you can see uh, Paul take two steps forward and then he'll back it up a little bit because yeah. he can't believe as he reaches for what the gospel is, he can't truly believe it's that good. And so mm. he has to kind of pull it back and hedge a little bit. You can see that war within yeah. Paul a little bit. And don't I know that's kind don't, of... Don't we have an amazing God that we're able to read our scriptures which let a person show mm. us that. And we can identify yeah. with Paul in this. Yeah, that Paul isn't yeah. some like unachievable saintly figure. That yeah. Paul is uh, Paul is among us. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. even reading Paul the way you've yeah. just described Fallon yeah. all my young life uh, led to tremendous amount of shame and guilt. And, mm. you know, even though the gospel comes through Paul, yeah. because I couldn't make sense of what felt like what I now believe to be even his own mm-hmm. wrestling with mm-hmm. 
the glory and glorious power of, of, of what the meaning of Jesus's life. Mm. I mean, I'm grateful for Paul to have revealed that, but you can see in his own writing, he even says it, that he's at war with his, himself in that. And that's an amazing thing to accept. And you can learn from that. And somehow, if I'm going to participate in deep time, I can... You know, in my own prayer life, Paul, I understand this passage so much. I am your fellow conflicted mm-hmm. <laughs> person. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, so you've revealed yours. Mm-hmm. I am a three. Um, and I, yeah, Threes I'm, are great. I'm they a get a three. lot of They're taking rap. over. We're, we're, part of the, we're part of the heart, um, the heart category. Um, I, whenever I take these, tes- these typology tests, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC or whatever they are, we went through a ton of them here in my MBA program at Pepperdine. Mm. And I always um, score as an extreme. Mm, and so I am a, I scored a 98% three and a 97% four. Mm. So I'm a, you know, and so that means there may be some clarity in that, but there's also going to be a lot of angst in that. And, um, and yes, vanity is um, the primal sin there. And what is the behavior that comes out of that is deceit. Mm. That's my great sin, you know. It, and it's oh, so Rick, do you go around as lying? No, it's not that I lie, but I'm able to reflect whomever's in front. I, I promise you, I some it was my three mm-hmm. who helped me even prepare for our conversation today. Right. <laughs> it matters to me what you and your listeners think about me, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I as a three, I can go into a room, I can immediately size up. It's probably why I made it as president of the Rotary Club of Los Angeles. <laughs> Walk into the big room. I can see immediately who is the power in the room. Mm-hmm. And I know that before this visit is over, I will have made my way to that person, gotten to know them, made sure they got a little bit to know a little bit about me. And they could be talking law or business or whatever. And I will begin to pick up their language. Mm-hmm. Which is a gift. Yes. It is a gift. Yeah. That has a dark side. That has a dark side yeah. because I can listen to what they're saying and begin to borrow the, that vocabulary, begin to mirror back to them. They begin to, I can even see it when it happens. Oh, that's resonating. Mm-hmm. I can see when I'm losing them. I can see when, you know, and so, but when I use it to manipulate a position mm-hmm. or to do something, that's, where, that's, what's, that's what's deceitful. Uh, not to keep quoting Richard Rohr, but he believes that most CEOs in the in the country are threes. Mm. Our corner offices, he believes, are filled with threes. Yeah, because ministry positions are also filled with threes. Yes, that's right. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, I spending so much time with you know emerging adults in one on one, even. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot about the Enneagram where we could, where it's even been said, you can correct me if this isn't the right way to think of it, but you really can't truly understand even your fully understand some of these things about yourself until later in life. I mean, there's some of that, but sitting with young people as they're struggling with forming identity and they're wanting to figure out who they are, what their vocation is, which has to do with what they're, what they're good at, this, this gift side, but understanding the shadow side. I have found the Enneagram to be a gift in those conversations. I know that, you know, I'm, I'm older than they are, and I've come to understand these, these kinds of things about myself better as I've gotten older. But I also wish 
someone had helped me understand some of this when I was younger. I can look back on my younger life mm-hmm. and I can think, wow, what would my 20s and 30s have been like if I had seen how I was working out those childhood wounds, Yes, you know, as a young parent, as, um, you know, a, a, a young spouse, as as a person trying to find myself in the world. So I don't know what the two of you think about young people and your experiences. I have so much fun with the Enneagram mm-hmm. with 20-year-olds. I don't know if you've done that, but oh my goodness, they are a lot of them are really into this conversation. Yeah. Mm. Especially because it's helping them work through childhood wounds, which often requires um, rethinking and reconsidering and uh, reflecting on your relationship with your parents, which is changing during the college years, right. during the emerging adult years, um, and with your siblings and with other other important figures um, from your childhood and, and from later. But um, yeah, I found it very helpful, especially with the childhood wounds part of it to open up conversations about like, okay, how have I been shaped in, in both positive and wonderful, beautiful ways and in maybe some ways that have been hurtful that I need to work through or, mm-hmm. or grow from. Um, certainly I've experienced that with, with emerging adults. Yeah. I've been thinking about this now for several years. And one thing I've noticed about the Enneagram is that sometimes I pick it up and then I put it down. Mm. And then I, I don't know what it means, but my wrestling with it, mm-hmm. I pick it up and I wrestle with what I'm learning through the Enneagram for a while. Then I put that down for a little while. Mm. And then I pick it back up again later. Maybe that has to do with my Enneagram number and not not yours. But that's something I think I can model to, to young people asking me for advice mm. about working through things in life is that so, sometimes I think we can think we're on a deadline to figure mm. out ourselves. Yeah. And unless I figure this out and solve this and know my identity and my purpose and my vocation is clear, then... I'm a fail, and then I suck. I'm a failure. <laughs> but I like to be able to show them, hey, this may be an on again, off again exploration of yourself. You 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 can't work everything out in these short years. You have a whole life. It's okay that it might take a whole life. It um, will take a whole. It life. will take a whole life. I, I don't think you ever come to a place where you've yeah. fully resolved it to your last day. But you have a way to um, press on and yeah. to pursue that and. And to do that, uh, but 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 I think the great gift of a mentor, and I and I believe so strongly in this. What were they? The Buddhists called them bodhisattvas, right? Mm. They were they were people who had reached enlightenment, but they had a responsibility mm-hmm. to share that with younger people. That is not happening in the way it needs to happen. Mm. The church should be very. Uh, engaged in that, it should be. A, this is the role of of a, a multi generational church: yeah. older people, younger people interacting together. Yeah. I can tell you, it is a former Pepperdine professor who provided a way forward for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved him deeply. Hubert Derrick uh, mm-hmm. was his name. He was an early uh, religion professor at George Pepperdine College. He'd been at ACC and. Um, I visited with him every Thursday mm. at uh, in Leisure World when I was a minister down at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, and uh, we would talk deeply uh, about um, Victor Frankl one day, about politics a little, the Bible a lot, um, you know. And um, I remember 
he was one of the most knowledgeable biblical scholars at our church, and I loved him and appreciated him. And one of the things that shocked me one day on a Thursday was when he said, you know, boy, and that's what he would call me. Uh, I ended up speaking at his funeral many, many years ago, but he said, you know, boy, the best I give this is 50-50. Hmm. I said, what? 50-50? Yeah, 50-50. I said, what are you talking about, <laughs> Hubert? He said, what's after all of this? Hmm. And I said, surely not. <laughs> because anything less than 100 mm. was, no, you do not pass the test, right? Yeah. I mean, so what he said is, no, no, I'll tell you what I believe. But my bet is 50-50. But what I believe is that, and, and, and by the way, this is a person who could go on and on about nature and God and how nature, God is revealed through nature. But he just said... You have got to give yourself some room mm. because when you turn 50, in your 50s, you will deal with what is known as existential angst. And by the way, uh, th that is the fear of death, the, the, the question, the wonder right. about death, mm. your own death. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to tell you right now that I've interviewed in some work that I'm doing in, uh, in, in another realm, and I've interviewed men, women, executives, day workers, what they think about their own death every day. Mm. Hubert told me when I was 27 and not thinking about that, I was thinking about the new baby we had just brought into the world, right. you know, Emily. You know, I was thinking about all that, that, all that kind of thing. He was saying the day's coming where you will wonder about your end. Mm. Well, he gave me a tremendous clue as to how to reset and rethink what is my relationship with myself and God. Yeah. And um, it took a mentor to do that. I, was, I took the job of working with the senior citizens because it, somebody had to. And so they said, Rick, could you fill in and do that? Mm -hmm. One of the best things I ever did because they completely helped me see that there's another way of thinking coming. Your life is going to pivot. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's not only suffering, and uh, but more suffering is coming, but it's also knowledge. I can't believe a single one of our students isn't raising big questions. I raise questions every time NASA sends me a new image from mm. the James Webb telescope. Mm -hmm. My goodness, what I thought was creation. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think the story you're telling us is one of the things I love most about working with emerging adults is that um, there's a desire there. I want to be in relationship and know them. Mm -hmm. They want to know me. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that desire. Fallon, you could, you could speak to this all, uh, at, from your expertise as a, an emerging adult. There is a desire to know people who have gone before. And sometimes I think we um, downplay that relationship. So yeah. spiritual mentoring, um, being a spiritual friend, I hear it all the time that there's a desire for that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely true. There's a natural longing, I think, for intergenerational relationship in general. Um, I think we're created for it. Um, that's mm -hmm. a theological claim more than <laughs> more than anything else, but I, I think we're created for intergenerational relationship, and I, I see that play out in ministry within myself. I think one of the most beautiful things about, about mentorship and intimate one-on-one um, -on -one relationship, especially in spiritual and faith communities, 
is, um, is that through relationship with someone else, you come to know yourself better. And it is only in knowing yourself better. You can really love yourself. And yes. I think Jesus was very wise in saying, love your neighbor as yourself. You yes. can't love your neighbor well unless you love yourself well. And you really can't love yourself in, in the fullest sense of the word without knowing yourself. And in when our faith life revolves only around um, large group gatherings that where you can remain anonymous and kind of insular reading the Bible on your own, that kind of thing. Not that those things are bad, but when right. those things are separated from intimate relationship with other people in a faith community, especially people, especially people in different stages of the spiritual journey. Um, I think any sort of self-reflection revolves around um, what we need to be doing better if it exists at all in those, in those contexts, mm -hmm. when, it, when, it, when it's insular and anonymous in large group settings. Um, and so we really need that relationship. We need people who are farther along on the journey to help us see and understand ourselves better and, um, and help us to really love ourselves so that we can love others well. I, I could not agree with that more. And I will just say that I, I mean, without <laughs> the guides that are 80 years old <laughs> or older in my in my actual life, and the guides that are ancient that have been dead for hundreds of years, I don't know that I would be unable to even work through the journey that I'm on now. Because the system, the structure, the, 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 the social contracts that were all around my work life, my family life, my faith life, all of that, they aren't making sense anymore. Yeah. But I had people in my life warn me, it's going to flip on you, and it does. And mm -hmm. and and sadly, a lot of people go through life in a linear way, mm. and they think that you know. And and I and I ache over this because this is a very scary thing to do. Mm -hmm. That's a scary place to be, as life begins to move into the later afternoon and evening time of your life, um, because the questions get bigger. Yeah. You need a way to be able to wrestle with those, yeah. and. I'll go back to where we started. I hold on to the John 15, even though I've not been allowed myself to accept it, that Jesus has said, you're my friend. Because I have questions that get bigger all the time, mm -hmm. and they excite me. Last thing I'll say about my three, a redeemed three can then share that. Mm -hmm. in, the, you know, in the way the, <laughs> the shadow three was working the room at a big meeting, trying to get close to power. The redeemed three can also learn the language of, of the people he's talking to or she's talking to and can share a vision. That's one of the things that threes are very gifted at is mm. they can cast a vision. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I, I am not an expert at the three um, or the, at the Enneagram or the three, um, <laughs> but I am interested in it. Yeah. And it, this is just sort of a peek into my entry into the uh, ancient wisdom yeah. of the church. Sarah, you know, when I first met you, you thought you were one number on the Enneagram and right. later you found out <laughs> maybe not so much. Right, <laughs> I right. would love to hear, to hear your, like, would you mm -hmm. share your story of how yeah. you figured out your Enneagram? Because it, it was, I think it's really encouraging in the mm -hmm. sense that like, you can be well along in life and still yeah. be very, still very much be figuring out who you are. I think it took me, and this is something I think it will be good for our listeners. It took me 
three to four years to arrive at what my number is. And I was lucky. My I spent a, an entire workshop here in this house, right in this room with Suzanne Stabile, who is mm-hmm. an Enneagram teacher, well-known. And I went through that with her, and she went through each type. And when I heard my number, which is the four on that day, and it was described to me, I, I was repulsed. Mm-hmm. I, I hated it. I seriously thought, I don't care which other ever one I am, I will not be that one. <laughs> Temperamental, dramatic, <laughs> melancholy, moody, socially awkward, <laughs> all of these things. <laughs> Nobody wants to be that. So I picked, which is not what you're supposed to do, I picked a two because twos are like what a Christian woman should be, helpful, <laughs> servant, like um, I hear that a lot of Christian women think they're a two, be- mistype themselves they as think a two. They should be a two. It's yeah. also what a four is when they're in stress, which I am some often. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went to another workshop, this time with Ian Cron, who's another Enneagram yes. teacher. And that time when he described the four, I said, oh, crap, except it wasn't the word crap, <laughs> it was a different four letter word. And I I mean, I literally like, uh, I just couldn't believe it, but I like being a four. I am driven by having purpose. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the shadow side. That's the, do you call it the light side? That's the redeemed, the, the redeemed your, side. Redeemed. I am attentive to aesthetics. I love everything in its place. That's a good part mm-hmm. of me. I am creative. I am sensitive to others. I have courage to face the suffering of this world, mm. which makes me a really good chaplain. Yeah, <laughs> and, it does. Yes. and, you know, so that's that's kind of my journey. And I guess what I'd like to say to our listeners um, as this is coming to a close is you might be confused by this conversation. What is the Enneagram? How do I find my number? Where do I go to take a quiz and find out what it is? And I think my story kind of is indicative of a lot of people that Mm -hmm. it is a journey that we'll put some uh, good books to look at in the show notes. And I think you do just have to kind of spend some time. I I know very few people who just take a quiz and suddenly they're like, I know, voila, I know my number. Mm -hmm. So I just want to encourage our readers. This is a journey. I think it's a fun journey and interesting and uh, meaningful. And so um, we will point you to some some of those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I, I think that's a great story, by the way, Sarah. And 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 it reminds me that most of us cannot. Um, we're, we're the last people to know who, mm. who which number we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's visible to everybody else, but it's not visible necessarily to us. Uh, my three resists everything that a shadow three is. Mm. It makes me feel bad about myself. Mm. But the redeemed three. There's, there's work to be done there. And the redeemed, your redeemed number, whatever that can be. And by the way, we have a little bit of all of them in us, and mm-hmm. we can borrow from it. But Richard Rohr goes as far as saying, you know, when, it, when, you're, when your numbers, when, you, when your redeemed self begins to produce the, the fruits of the Spirit, you will know that you've moved from the shadows into the light. Mm. And he said, in this way, he said, I believe this is how we are saved. Mm. And I find that to be so wonderful and 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 it makes me want to spend time with this wrestling um all the time and so um i i just think that 
probably if anything has been said today, it is, this is a journey. This is an invitation mm-hmm. into the journey. And in whatever stage of life you're in, there is something here for you as you begin to prepare for, you know, this thing that keeps unfolding. I think we life. can we can say everyone does not suck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, everyone sucks a little bit. <laughs> Only a little. <laughs> I do most Monday mornings. I can't help it. <laughs> Rick, thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. And to everyone who's listening, blessings on your journeys of self-discovery. There are many tools out there. God can work in many beautiful and mysterious ways. And we are all on the journey together. Thank you. Thank you.